0: Hello, everyone. Charles Watts here. Welcome back to Inside Arsenal, and it is that time of the week once again, where, you, as you can see, I'm joined by James Benj of CBS, which means one thing: it is Inside Arsenal extra time. James, how are you doing? Mate, all good.
1: I'm. I'm nervous, Charles. Um, this is take nervous. three. My ah. microphone is crackling, as we've d- discovered, but we think we've. It'll got to a stage where it's not going to break, but hey, if it does, I hope people enjoy their old timey sounding podcast or YouTube video. Just imagine we're talking about the 1930s, and but other than that, I'm great because I'm still on the the post Arsenal Liverpool high, and everyone else in the world is, aren't they?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was it was a very fun Sunday in North London, and I've been basking in it all week. I have to i out. Just been down the gym, and I was. I was listening to the Ars Cast actually, the sort of second half of the Arscast, uh when I was on the treadmill, just still kind of basking and enjoying listening to it, even though it was what what five days ago now? <laughs> and yeah, it's um it's been a lot of fun. Talking about the Ars Cast actually, have you heard James's um I called it a monologue earlier on in the week when he t- yes. talked about Chris Sutton and, and have you seen the poorly drawn Arsenal animation with the voiceover over the top? It is it is
1: comedy gold. The animation is is sensational. I mean, the one the one issue I would have with that is, I quite like Chris Sutton. I I always get the feeling he, you know, he he's sort of in on the joke, isn't he? He's he's sort of trying to carve out this niche, and it's a hard niche to carve out. Of the grumpiest no, no, old no, no, man,
0: no, 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 in... no, no, I'm stopping you. That's bollocks. It's not a hard niche to cast to to carve out. It is absolute engagement farming, fish reeling in. Type punditry, <laughs> and I fell for it. I got I he just I didn't bite, I didn't re, I didn't reply to it or anything like that. But just seeing a tweet made my blood boil. I cannot stand him. Ever since what year was it? 97, 96, 97 at Highbury. Last minute against Blackburn. ball went out. Uh someone got injured. Arsenal player got injured. Can't remember who it was. Dixon, maybe. Nigel Winterburn. Actually, I think it was Nigel Winterburn. but went out of play. Um, they gave the ball back to us, as they should, but Sutton chased Vieira down when he shouldn't have. They didn't give, him any, didn't, didn't give him any time on the ball. So basically, yeah, they threw the ball back, but he immediately chased Vieira down. They got a corner, took the corner, scored. And I've hated him from that moment. He ended up hiding in the toilets at Highbury that day because <laughs> all the Arsenal players were outside trying to get him. Like Martin Keown was literally trying to kill him afterwards. And he went running, in, running down the tunnel and hid in the toilets before he could escape <laughs> Highbury that day. And I've never been able to stand him from that moment. So no, no, you can't. You're not allowed to like Chris Sun.
1: Well, I think we all have our own, you know, in the great debate about people having fun, which I do want to. I, I want to talk about it. I haven't had an opportunity at CBS. We don't do media criticism. Um, <laughs> everyone has their own person that winds them up about this, and but for me, it's it's the man that that tells people not to get carried away, but that kissed poor skulls full on on the lips because he scored a last-minute winner against Man City in a season that, by the way, Man United didn't win the league that year. So that's, I mean, that is carrying away because, you know, you see videos on the internet, you know where Paul Scholes' mouth has been. And yet, Gary Neville full-on it. Yeah, I mean, what a fun sponge. Like, I watched a bit of Monday Night Football the day after and there's this brilliant analysis and I know it's hard to put together at a moment's notice but all the stuff about how well Arsenal had done to hold that Liverpool team to next to nothing attack wise, that wasn't like you didn't need a day to work mm. all that out. And you just ended up with this incredibly tedious debate about whether a team that's probably not going to win the league is having too much fun. And I mean, the other, I mean, like the, the, the thing for this being Martin Odegaard taking a picture of Stuart McFarlane. What, what, who cares? like, it's a lovely moment for Stuart McFarlane, who is a really popular employee at Arsenal Football Club. Why did why does Gary Neville need to have a take on that?
0: I know, I, I, the whole thing's just a joke. been, And it just really annoyed me that that was the big talking point after the game. And like you said, I know it takes a while to put together big analysis pieces. And I know on Monday Night Football, they covered it well. But like you said, it didn't take a lot to be able to pick out the key points in that game to be able to discuss it. Immediately post match, and not to and literally spend 10 15 minutes talking about how Arsenal celebrated a must win game. It was such rubbish, it's such easy. And I called it gutter punditry afterwards, and it is, mm. it's just such easy thing to talk about. It's the sort of thing you'd see on you know, on talk sport when they're like, it's a really slow news day, we've got absolutely subtle to talk about. Let's. Let's come up with an easy phone-in topic that you know, just a go-to topic that we know generates discussion. And it was just that kind of thing that was just—it was utterly, utterly pathetic. And like you said, it's proper fun sponge stuff from Neville and, and Carrigan. And to be honest, Carrigan was the worst of the two, I think, out, out of all of them. I know. I guess you can probably. Yeah, say, yeah, I can't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, his uh, his team just end up getting beaten, played off the park for ninety minutes. So he was obviously in a bad mood, but it's just utter rubbish and like you said that it's so hypocritical as well because there's so many points you can things you can point to you know Klopp getting carried away so many times Carragher seemingly loving that at the time Gary Neville charging down the touchline at Euros when he was assistant coach to Roy Hodgson to celebrate Daniel Sturridge's last minute winner against um, Wales yeah celebrating in front of the fans and jumping in in his suit and where, wasn't it? It was him when Rio Ferdinand scored the last minute winner against Man United at Stretford, End. He went charging off to the Liverpool and didn't yep. celebrate with them, didn't he? And just started celebrating in front of the Liverpool fans. It, it's, it's. There's so many instances where you can point to, and it's so hypocritical, and it's just, frankly, bollocks. As I said, I, it just really, really annoyed me. And it, how it was a talking point, I, I don't know. But from the game itself, I mean, it was. We haven't really spoken about it since you were there in the press box. I was there in the in, in the stands, obviously. And um, you know, as a fan, it was just a brilliant, brilliant day fantastic atmosphere you know the emirates has been quiet at times in the last couple of months but this was back to its raucous best of what we saw from last season it was so loud i like you got a uh noise notification from yeah. <laughs> about decibel level and how it could any prolonged sort of uh prolonged period staying in that noise could lead to, to hear loss which made me laugh but it was that loud The place was rocking when those goals from, minute one. The end. from minute one towards minute one yeah it was seriously seriously loud and it was fantastic and and it was just a brilliant win for Arsenal and one that has certainly opened up the tight race and what did you think about the game itself I don't want to spend too long talking about this because obviously it's a few Mm. days old now we're going to quickly switch attention to West Ham and some of the big talking points ahead of that game which is coming up but just quickly on on Liverpool how impressed were you by Arsenal's performance and the way they approached that game and the way they stifled such a you know a Liverpool team who came into the game in such a good run of form with so much momentum
1: behind them. I mean, the stifling is a great word and wow, I thought this was as impressive defensively as what they did to city earlier in the season. Just there were whole spells of the game, like 20 minute periods where Liverpool couldn't even get in the box. Mm. I mean, I tweeted that and literally a minute later I look up and Darwin Nunez is like attacking after that, that header. And I'm like, Oh my God, what have I done? But you know, and bringing in the fact that the players got got carried away, um, air quotes for people listening on podcasts there, I, I don't remember a big game that Arsenal have won like this in a long time. Um, you might. A game where Arsenal shot themselves in the foot, and I remember a lot of big games where they've done that, where they shot themselves in the foot, panicked, and actually kind of in the cold light of day, the panicking is normal because you played 45 brilliant minutes. You deserve to be going two 0 up. Uh, it's one all. Of course you're like, oh my God, have we just lost the title? And who knows if they're tight, they're in the title race. And then they go, okay, no, you know, we're not, this isn't going to define the game, the season, everything, you know, let's get back into this. And so the way they overcame those five minutes of nerves early in the, the second half, was, for me, one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in a Mikel Arteta team. Like, that is not, and that's not Arsenal. That is not Arsene Wenger's Arsenal, Unai Emery's Arsenal. It's not even, like, early Arteta Arsenal. Um man, it was sensational. Uh, I, I loved it. I thought it, it was a, up there with the best performances I've ever seen from Mikel Arteta's Arsenal.
0: I mean, that's a big statement, but you sort of go back over the big wins that Arsenal have, made, have achieved under Arteta. I mean, Man City obviously was huge this season. At the start of the season, it was a very different game to what we saw against Liverpool. Mm. Um, interestingly, I think City, Liverpool had one shot on target on, at the weekend. I think City only had one shot on target in that game as well. Yeah. And that was in like the, first, the fifth minute, wasn't it? When yeah. someone cleared off the line, and that was it. So you sort of you think about it. You limit, you play. 180 minutes plus against Liverpool and Man City, probably the two best attacking teams in the league, if not Europe. And you can see two shots on target. I think that says mm-hmm. an awful lot about how, you know, how good this Arsenal team is and how difficult they are to play against. And <laughs> if they could stop shooting themselves in the foot and, <laughs> and conceding like ridiculously Arsenal goals, they would just, they would have such a good chance of doing it. I mean, they do have a good chance, but they would have such a good chance of doing something very, very special over the next couple of seasons because they are just they are defensively they are so very very difficult to play against.
1: Can I just go off script a bit? Have you seen the numbers going around from like Opta about each team's odds of winning the title? And City are at 80%. I think i working 80. Uh Liverpool are at 13, Arsenal are at 7. I mean, there's some sort of a bit of variance in there because I know they're given sort of Spurs a 0.1% chance of winning the title, which is generous. Um, when I give you those numbers, or if you'd seen them before, does that feel right? Like I feel like I feel like City's numbers right, but I I think it needs to skew a bit more towards Arsenal in terms of who could nick in ahead of them.
0: Yeah, no, I think City's numbers are definitely right. I think if you are you are a betting man right now, and you would definitely put, you had like. You had to put your mortgage on one team. It's certainly going on <laughs> Manchester City, isn't it? So I think 80% chance. They know they've been there, done it. Treble winners, got everyone back. Everyone's fit. I think 80% is about right. But yeah, I think I think Arsenal-Liverpool is sort of toss for coin type stuff, isn't it? Mm. In, terms of, in terms of who would be closest. I think City, I mean, Liverpool will score an awful lot of goals. They've got Salah to come back. They've got Sir to come back. But Arsenal, are very, very good as well. I think it is very close between the pair of them. I, I still think City are looking very, very ominous now. What is it? Nine wins in a row since well, they got back. Was um Brentford from, on Monday night? And they, they are kind of like Arsenal. They are giving teams a little bit of a sniff, aren't they? they still, they haven't. I think they've kept one clean sheet in about ten or eleven. City. but the amount of times I've watched it, I feel like anyway that I've watched them recently and. Suddenly, I've seen they're behind or something like that. You're like, oh, mm. something could happen here. But they keep, as you City do at this second half of the season, and they just find a way to to win. If if Haaland's not going to get you, yeah, if De Bruyne is not going to get you, Foden is or Bernardo Silva is. It, it's yeah. I looked at their starting lineup against Brentford. And I thought, oh yeah. Oh god, that yeah. We're back. We're back in the really scary realms of <laughs> Man City starting lineups now.
1: And I thought Brentford like played. And all, uh, as near to a perfect game as you can play if you're them against City. Like Flecken was brilliant. They created all these chances for themselves. They had a really clear plan of like getting in behind City's fullbacks. And they got everything right. And then they just still got steamrolled in the end.
0: That goal right at half time, though, was such a killer. Was... You know, if, if Brentford go in one nil up... I mean, it's easy to say, obviously, now. But it is a very, very different game, I think, in that yeah. second half. They've still got something to hang on to. But the, you just knew, as soon as 1-1, that was it. You know, yeah. I was sitting here thinking, oh, like, that's it, game over. There is absolutely no way Man City aren't going on to win this game now. I think if it was one nil it would have been different. And for Brentford, it was a really rubbish goal to concede as well, <laughs> having worked so, so hard. And then to give a goal like that away, yeah, it sucked the life out of them, didn't it? And you always knew that City were going to we're going to come through but I mean we're talking about the title it is very very tight I think I saw a tweet from the Premier League saying that the last time that the top five had been separated by this small amount in the Premier League at this stage of the season was over 10 years ago I think it was like 20 or it might have been 10 years ago it might have been 2013-2014 so it is very very tight I mean look just two points separating the top three after 22 games obviously Arsenal and Liverpool And Liverpool played one game more than Man City. So it is really, really tight. But I can absolutely understand why Man City are are still overwhelming favourites at this stage.
1: Yeah, they just look like they're sort of in steamroller mood, really. And I think compared to even Liverpool, there's just this strength off the bench. But, I mean, Arsenal don't go to City until April. Is it early April?
0: It's Easter Sunday, yeah. It's early April.
1: Easter Oh, bloody hell. Well then, you know, they that's uh, if you can just stay in it, if you can just keep pace until then, who knows? Give I, a chance, I think yeah. like in a in a in a one-off game, and the Etihad, it'll be really really hard. But we've they've shown that they can match City in a one-off game, Um and if they're they're still in the mix, then then it yeah. But you know, it needs I would say, to I would say every break.
0: Back. I would back this team to go up there if everyone stays fit and put in a hell of a better performance than what mm. happened at the end of last season. Definitely put it that way. I think <laughs> oh, Man City God. will find it an awful lot tougher to play against this team than, than that team they faced at the end of last season who were clearly out on their feet and missing some missing some key players. I mean, where, where At do least you think if it's Easter on? Sunday,
1: we can all get absolutely roastingly drunk when we're depressed afterwards. <laughs>
0: No, I think Easter Sunday. All I envisage is sitting in h- awful traffic on the way there, yeah. <laughs> on the way back, trying to get, trying to get to the Etihad. Um, where, where do you kind of look at where Arsenal are now? Obviously, they had that blip over Christmas. They've come back. Went away to Dubai. I think we all felt that was a good time to have the break. And you know, they've come back three wins in a row. What I mean, you would hope that that win at the weekend really gives them a massive, massive shot in the arm. They've been slowly rebuilding confidence, I think, haven't they? We saw mm. in the Forest wasn't great, but they got a job done. Obviously, they, they hit Crystal Palace for five. But again, it wasn't one of those performances that sprung out as a 5 nil win, wasn't it? I think everyone who watched it could see that. But then Liverpool, you know, those two kind of felt like the building blocks of getting the getting the confidence back and just beginning to get some momentum back. And then Liverpool, you'd hope, is going to be a real, real springboard into what's to come over the next few weeks. I mean, West Ham, this it's such a massive game because obviously West Ham have beaten Arsenal twice already this season.
1: It's a it would, is a rerun of that um that double header from last season, which kind of when you look back on it is where the title went. Yeah, I hadn't even thought that. Yeah, it is it is exactly the same, isn't it? Liverpool, West Ham, um,
0: and it would be the most Arsenal thing to do to go in to go and lose that game of drop, having beaten Liverpool to go and drop points. They cannot let that happen. They have to go and back up that win against Liverpool with an away win this weekend, and not clear would be it would just do undo it would undo all the hard work, wouldn't it, to go to. To go to West Ham and, and drop points, it's huge. I think Man City play first. They play Saturday lunchtime. Everton? Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> at the, the 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 flashbacks to April are quite strong, aren't they?
0: They are. They are. This time, it said that yes, he had not a good' and Um Yeah, I mean, what were your thoughts going into this West Ham? It's so so important. I mean, every game is the biggest game because it's the next game. But I generally mm. feel as big as last weekend was. This game is just absolutely huge for Arsenal's chances of staying in the tight race.
1: I do think the table's telling a few fibs about West Ham. I don't think they're that good. Um, They weren't that, I mean, they weren't very good defensively when they came to the Emirates last season. Um, I think in terms of sort of XG difference, they're like a bottom five team. They they pretty much sacrificed a lot of their defence. I don't know if they lost any sort of high-profile midfielders that really helped to dominate that area of the pitch. I think maybe Maybe they could do with a, a proper anchor man. Although, like the individual talent is there, and the worry will be that they will raise their game. That the London Stadium—I mean, it's, I, I, I think it's lucky that Arsenal are going there at, at two o'clock on a Sunday. I've done a few of those games, and they're pretty sleepy. Um, whereas, you know, if you get that as a midweek game, the London Stadium can can actually be hardly Upton Park, but a, it can have a bit of bounce to it. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, we'll go into the the team and all that. I don't think it's a a side that that Arsenal should be particularly scared of. And equally, by that count, like frittering away the points you've just earned last weekend would be unforgivable. Really, if you're uh, if you're these Arsenal players, you've got to now be, you've got to think of what what you need to do is what City do at this time of the year. You need to go and win eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 straight. You know, you need to win every game between now and when you go to the Etihad. And that's like stratospheric standards. And maybe it's unfair to sort of say that any team should hit them. But Arsenal want to win the title. So there you go. That's what you got to do. Win well, it's going to have to yeah.
0: If they're yeah. going to win the title, that's what they're going to have to do. Because Man City is certainly looking like they're on one of those runs now. Just looking at the table again at West where West Ham are, the seventh, aren't they? 36 points. Goal difference of um, naught. Man, minus- Man United are still on a minus goal difference. That's mad. <laughs> um yeah it's i mean the, can you read much into the fact that um west ham have beaten arsenal twice this season you know will that do do you sort of buy into the fact that that will have some sort of impact on sunday's game
1: mentally with the with both sets of players uh been off the the EFL cup one because that was a pretty rotated arsenal team wasn't it until until he sort of on mass substituted in his best players in the 86th minute um I feel like the other game. I mean, it, I don't think Arsenal will take any heart from it. But David Moyes is a smart man. He'll he'll know what he saw and he'll know how close his team got to a fairly comprehensive defeat. Was that just before or just after Christmas? Just after, oh, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. Um, so it was one of those games, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, there is. A, it, it's pretty clear that Arteta has his difficulties with. David Moyes. I mean, everyone talks about Pep, but I always think the true sorcerer and apprentice relationship is David Moyes and Mikel Arteta. Um, I mean, what was the last game that, that Arsenal played against West Ham where they weren't behind, or didn't weren't didn't like, ended up disappointed? I mean, you go back to Boxing Day straight Boxing after day, the it? World Cup, they won, but they were down in the first half before then when they were fighting for fourth like they were massively put through the ringer weren't they even if Rob Holding won it so it's it tends to be a tough game but like also now now when you kind of think about all them you're like I don't really remember Arsenal coming into many of those games in a better situation than they are right now yeah
0: midfield's going to be really interesting obviously Jorginho played against Liverpool and he played brilliantly um, he was so, so good. And it, it that always felt like...
1: Did you, did you do player ratings for that game? Yes. What did you give I gave, him?
0: I gave him and Rice a nine.
1: Oh, I hate when people are too scared to give out tens. tens. Ten out <laughs> ten. would you have given him a ten? It's a ten game for me from Jorginho. Ten. With he an was, injury. Uh, with a foot injury.
0: Was, yeah, yeah. Arteta spoke about that afterwards, didn't he? He so said he's been in a lot of pain for, for a fair while. Um, it's, the, yeah. so it's
1: the yeah the foot injury that kept him out of the Brighton game. So that's two months, pretty much.
0: He felt, it, it always felt like a Jorginho game, didn't it? When we spoke about it in the build-ups and match, it was always, as well as Smith-Rowe played and as sort of lively as he was against Forest, you always knew that Jorginho was going to come back in for this game. It just felt, you know, it just felt felt right. And so there was no, you know, I wasn't disappointed when I saw that starting lineup against Liverpool. But having played so well, does he keep his place on Sunday? Yeah, you, you'd play the same team? You wouldn't bring Emil back in? They get, they're going to face very different... Teams and very different setups, aren't they? From what Arsenal were dealing with against Liverpool, they're going to, have to deal with completely different sort of tactics on, on Sunday. But you'd stick with Jorginho, would you?
1: I know all that, yeah, and you are right. And like, I'm not going to kick off if Smith Rowe starts or if she, Jesus is fit and Havertz starts because I think I've kind of got to the stage with Mikel Arteta and his selecting of 11s that I think he gets it right more often than not. <laughs> but I mean. We all have these games, right? I mean, I can give you like uh Bellerin against Bayern Munich, uh Ibrahimovic against England. You know the games where you're just like, okay, I haven't I, I didn't get this player before. Um I think Jorginho is is sensational and it's not just that, it's everyone around him looks brilliant when they play with Jorginho. I don't think it's a coincidence that Rice, Erdegaard, Havertz all had excellent games, Trossard, Martinelli. I think what Jorginho did was set this tempo that was just perfect for the game. Um, do I think that's necessary against West Ham? Probably. Like, I know what I've just said there about they're not a great team, but it it is a, a, a tough place to go away from home. And I think Jorginho would set you out on the right course. And then if things aren't going well at the hour or if you need to sort of just add a bit more oomph off the bench... That's when you turn to Smith Rowe or you turn to Havertz or, or whoever. I I just I mean like, I just think Jorginho is great. And when's he not had a great game for Arsenal? When he's played, I mean it's you know if you look at the the big games where Arsenal needed to win and Jorginho has been in the eleven, Arsenal played great and probably won. So yeah, he's been a great yeah, signing,
0: hasn't he? He's been he's been a great well, signing. He? Oh. Sign-in. I think that I can I can think in the top of my head one sort of. Error in that game against Spurs, which is just an individual error, which happens all the time to everyone. You get robbed of possession sometimes, you take a little bit too much time on the ball. But in terms of his overall performance, since he's been a fantastic signing. Absolutely. That's why, you know, I'd 100% keep him. I'd trigger that option, keep him for another 12 months. Clearly still got loads to give to. I I don't know. I think it's a tough one. I think it's definitely the biggest, the Jorginho decision is definitely the biggest decision Arteta is facing in this game, because I think Tommy Asu obviously comes in at left back if Sinchenko's out, yes. which we expect he probably will be. And I think Tommy against Kudus is is good for Arsenal. <laughs> you know, you you I'd be I feel a lot safer seeing Tommy there mm. than I would Sinchenko there, given how bright Kudus has been and given how much trouble he caused Arsenal in the League Cup game and caused Sinchenko actually in the League Cup game. So yeah, Tommy. I think that's a relatively simple decision. I think Havertz keeps his place one hundred percent. Um, I thought he was excellent. Really, really bright performance from him. And I think, yeah, I think he keeps his place up top. Um, Providing, I don't know, actually, if Jesus is fit, Jesus comes, would you play Jesus over Havertz if Jesus Jesus is fit and has trained all week?
1: No. I want to reward Havertz for a really good
0: game. I think I'd do that. I think I'd keep Havertz as as the nine and have Jesus on the bench.
1: I'm still baffled by Kai Havertz. He He was was really, really good again.
0: Liverpool I thought I thought was, I just I just much prefer him playing in that position. I don't think I've ever come away from watching him play in that role and not thought he's played well and he's caused loads of problems. Obviously you want his finishing to be a bit better. He you know should have he should have <laughs> scored. I never felt he was going to score that when he went through one on one. Um especially with it on his right foot, but so you want that to be better if you're playing as a nine, but I just think I, I just think he always plays well in that position, and he just causes so many problems. The second half, especially that last half hour, he came into his own so much against Liverpool. He caused Van Dijk and Konate all sorts of problems. And,
1: um... One more thought, even while we have Tommy's face next to him. Sorry, Tommy. I watched for a piece I was writing. I watched back all of like Havertz's goals when he was a Leverkusen player. It's so strange because he's still, I think, like that Allison chance. Could he have got it away quicker? You know, I thought he, you know, he gave Allison time to get close to him, and there's a few other moments as well. And kind of the history of Kai Havertz in the Premier League has basically been taking one touch too many. And you see this guy from Bayer Leverkusen, and he's flicked headers, he's poachers, finishes in the box. I think I, I, it would be great if Arteta can just help unlock that. And I, you know, if I'm Arteta and his coaching staff, I want to get Havertz working on these one touch in the penalty area, bang, finishes. And I think then Arsenal could have a, a really good option at, at centre-forward that I mm. um, <laughs> just, yeah, it, it's just such a fascinating enigma because I feel like now we're talking positively. We, I mean, we've done this three or four times already this season I had to feel like we're kind of violently lurching from thinking Havertz is a really useful first eleven player to like, oh God, you know, would we bring him off the bench as the third sub or whatever? I just needs a run of games, so that's the other argument for yeah for starting him and starting him at centre forward. Yeah,
0: it's interesting though we're talking about starting him as a nine and not in the position that he was brought to the club to try and <laughs> fill. Um, which yeah. uh, I just feel I just feel so much more comfortable when he's playing in that nine role. I think he just yeah I I thought he was great and he caused Liverpool all sorts of problems. And I think he was really really integral to that win. Um, at a weekend I would reward him with his place but certainly that midfield that Jorginho decision is going to be really interesting if he's fit obviously he might he might what this foot injury might keep him out so we'll wait and see on that hopefully it won't but I can see both arguments I think you, mm-hmm. you keep a winning team you reward a player for such a fabulous performance by keeping him in the team but I can also see from what I've seen against Arsenal playing against West Ham so far this season how maybe Smith Rowe yeah. might help Arsenal unlock West Ham a little bit easier than Jorginho will but um, yeah, I don't think either way, when I get to the London Stadium on Sunday and I see the team sheet, if it's Jorginho's name there or it's Smith Rowe's name there, then I don't think I'm gonna be overly disappointed. Um luxury problems. Well it's good options to have, isn't it? And, then, and suddenly you're looking at that squad with Tommy Asi coming back now, suddenly it's just the squad is looking a little bit stronger again, which is uh, which is very, very nice to see. How do you see the Can game I... panning out at the weekend? I don't wanna to go to predictions wise because I'm too superstitious for that. I never do it, but do you do you um how do you how do you see it all all bearing
1: out? <laughs> I think it will be the sort of classic Arsenal against non-elite level opposition where they kind of control the game. And the question really is, can they snuff it out before West Ham start backing themselves on the counter? Because Paqueta, Bowen, Kudus that you mentioned, like you want to make sure you're not giving up too many opportunities for them to break away because they would they would take them so i mean i'm, I'm still pretty optimistic though i think it will be a routine well i think it will be a win
0: routine I'm not, I'm go yeah, it will be a
1: routine arsenal games I.e., they'll have 60 percent of the ball and i'll look after 40 minutes and they've had four shots i think it will be that Yeah,
0: it'd be nice if West Ham were wide open and really attacked Arsenal and let their full bats go flying down the uh, David. That would be that would be nice, but it's just not going to happen, is it? Right, uh, let's move on to the sort of second part of the show, and we've got lots of questions and comments that have come in. uh, So let's get moving to that. Here's one from Junzi. Would you say Johnzi? How would you pronounce that? Uh, Junzi.
1: Junzi. Junzi.
0: We'll go with Junzi. So extra time. Hi guys, can you tell me tell us more about the Shoba? Realty Training Ground, aka London colney Is it just a change in the name or is it actually a new training ground with upgraded equipment, facilities, etc.? Also, any idea how much they're paying us to part ways with the ground's beloved traditional name? Um, Arabic is my mother tongue and it still make no sense to me. Long. Um, okay, <laughs> I uh. In terms of right now, it's just the same training ground. It's absolutely mm-hmm. the tra- same training ground. But I was down there last week after the announcement for Mikel's press conference. We were talking to people at Arsenal about it. And that says basically any everything's sort of on the table for for where they go from here with this investment and with their expertise that um, Schauber are going to bring. I mean, you look at... There's a lot of space there. The, the options for potentially building a hotel or places for, to stay. I think Tottenham have got the, the lodge, haven't they, there? Yeah. And, Um, that was something that was discussed last week when we were there and you know it was it certainly wasn't an idea that was batted away you know they could potentially have a place where they could all stay rather than having to go to a team hotel before the game you know they could that sort of thing could could happen so Mm. I think everything's sort of on the say on the table now in terms of where this partnership goes and how the, the training ground will transform but I think one thing is for sure is that it will transform over the next few years because of this partnership so it'll be interesting to see in terms of how much they're paying I've Arsenal are very reluctant to put a figure on it mm-hmm. when I've asked that question, but I, I, I would say that £10 million a year is certainly a, a figure that when I have put it to someone, it, it, I didn't get told <laughs> straight away, no, that's wrong. So yes. that, that, that's the I figure I, I have in my head that. as being uh, in and around what Arsenal are, are getting from this, uh, this partnership.
1: Yeah, uh, and I'd, I'd heard the same money-wise. I haven't been down there um, and I may not go for a while. Just the nature of like, just the nature of, to be honest, nature of Champions League weeks that um, I get, you know, I have to take a day off and it's quite often the day of Mikel Arteta's presser.
0: Yeah, I'm not there tomorrow, unfortunately. I've got really boring household stuff that I've got to do, um, which I told you about off air, which the viewers will not be, uh, will not keep them entertained. They're probably all switched off, so I'm not going to bore them a bit, but very boring. Well, in,
1: inside your water softener extra time would be a podcast I would inside,
0: listen to. Yeah, there you go, inside my water. There's lots of problems inside my water softener at the moment. So yeah, that, that would be a conversation that would uh, go on too long. So yeah, I won't be at the uh, Shoba Realty training ground tomorrow. Here's one from McCormack AFC. He says, Hi Charles and James. Earlier in the season, James went to watch Bayer Leverkusen and said Arsenal should sign Frimpong. I still think this should be the case as he offers something different to our defence and in those tight games when he's high and wide, it allows Saka to move inside to affect mm-hmm. the game more. So here's a fan of your idea of Arsenal signing Frimpong. Are you still very much of the opinion that that should be a move that Arsenal looked to to try and get done this summer?
1: I do really like it as an idea. I think I have other things that would be sort of top of my list. Um, I think you want a left eight and a st- or an eight and a striker first. What I like about Frimpong though is he would sort of double up as a winger for some games. I think he's he's that good as a winger. But you could also sort of for the games you're expecting to dominate, he could he could come in and in place of Ben White. I think. I mean, the challenge is, though, that Arsenal are going to have Tommy Asu, uh, Zinchenko, Timber, White. Um, Tommy, we know, is going to sign a new contract. It's not screaming, like, big vacancy at, at right back. Please come on down. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to be buying him as a winger. Um, And of late, I'm falling ever harder for Pedro Neto. I... Uh, <laughs> I
0: am. So but I mean, Frimpong
1: would be on the list, and I know he's got a, a competitive release clause at around the 40 million level. Um, I'd also be well up for Jabi Alonso taking him to Liverpool and Liverpool then selling Trent Alexander Arnold to Arsenal.
0: To Arsenal. Yeah, Why not?
1: That.
0: I am. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, I think. I, I, I just don't. I, I look at where Arsenal are going to need to spend money and where I expect them to spend money. I just don't really see right back as a.
1: You're as buying manager. him as a winger, and, and, and like you
0: said, that as we've talked about Havertz, it's really interesting because you know are Arsenal going to have to sign a left eight, or are they going to, you know, long term are they still thinking from what they've seen so far this season? That's what we're, we're going to look for for Kai Havertz, that is to fill that role. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if Arsenal do have to, you know, put some money towards that that position as well. But I think certainly striker is absolutely that's going to okay. eat into Arsenal's. Um, transfer fund this summer and then potentially an even deeper line midfielder uh, as Can I show well? you
1: my new, my new obsession, my, yeah, new, my new deal? I, I know that Sam Dean, the Telegraph was the first, and he did this on was it one of one of the many rival podcasts that are out there. He pitched Frankie de Jong. Oh, yes, he Barcelona, did. Barcelona, I, which I love as an idea because you sort of see now that Barcelona may feel compelled to sell him. Uh, In such circumstances, you can actually get a good midfielder at an incredible deal. Um, Frankie de Jong is my new uh, white whale. Get me Frankie de Jong in an Arsenal shirt.
0: Is your new white whale?
1: What the hell does that White whale? Well, it's from Moby Dick. You know, it's the sort of thing that obsesses you. I mean, Mm. I have other obsessions in life. I'm very into the last dinner party at the moment. Um, But in purely football terms um a lot of my energy is sort of going to how can i ha- how can i facilitate frankie dion coming to the premier league i'm not, I'm not actually going to try and do that I, and obviously i can't but i'm very pro frankie dion coming to the premier league
0: I'm still laughing at the moby dick reference that is that far too easy <laughs> to, me to understand that um yeah no i wouldn't say no to frankie dion uh, frankie is it frankie or Frankie? Is frankie frankie, Franky, frankie, frankie, frankie dion. Yeah. yeah i wouldn't say no to that obviously but um very very good player um Yeah, Pedro Neto, by the way, I am 100%. With every week that passes and I watch him, I am more and more like just throw money at walls for that player. (laughs) Such a fantastic signing and is exactly what Arsenal need as well. Um, Extra time. Since we have seen Havertz play up top in our three hardest fixtures so far this season, City in the Community Shield, City at home in the Premier League and Liverpool at home, do you guys think that Havertz is now becoming the desired option for striker position in the biggest games? I mean, as I'm reading this, I'm realised we've just already basically answered this before we got to this question. A little. I know, I know that Jesus has been either out or played at right wing in those games, but since we have a very good record now in these games with Havertz as our number nine, he might start ahead of Jesus in his position in the biggest game. Uh, say we reach Champions League final and everyone's fit, do you guys, do you guys reckon Arteta would start with Havertz up top? See, that's the
1: fun bit I thought we could answer. Yeah, I still
0: think you'd start with Jesus up top if Jesus is too. fit and Arsenal are in the Champions League final. I think he plays Jesus unless something happens between now and then. You know, unless Havertz suddenly scores ten goals in playing out there or, 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 and Jesus mm. really struggles. I think right now, if the Champions League finals this weekend and everyone's fit, I think Jesus plays for Arsenal.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the only thing again would be like uh, the other angle would be: is there a matchup thing? I'm trying to think of like a team like Real Madrid that basically are playing whoever they can find at centre-back and a lot of those guys aren't that tall and good in the air. Like, you can sort of convince me on a matchup perspective and I think the thing I would say now is if and when Arsenal reached a Champions League final, I, I wouldn't panic about Kai Havertz starting up front. I believe no, he's no, done that not. before in a Champions League final and did quite well.
0: Did quite well. <laughs> Didn't <quite laughs> do did well. too bad. Um, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have any problem with it. Like I said, right now, if for this game on Sunday, I would be quite happy even if Jesus is fit i, I think havertz deserves to keep his place up top um mm. because of his performance at the weekend and yeah i like him in that position so so yeah i hope that answers your question real nostradamus is extra time how could we not sell or release <laughs> suarez in the window he must be the highest paid fit player in the league that has the least amount of minutes 65 minutes and zero league has he got has he got zero league minutes this season really he's not played a single minute um <laughs> Seventeen million has been spent on him with a ludicrous seventy-five grand a week wages. He's not behind the scenes. He's not a behind the scenes guy like El esque figure. Um, question: Would you, who would you like to bring in this summer as another experienced player who may not get as many minutes but possibly be very helpful on the pitch? Um, I thought that was interesting. I, 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 I don't know if Arsenal need another inexperienced player come the summer. I don't think you need to sign someone just because they're experienced. I think this squad, even though he's young, is getting more and more experienced. I think mm. Jorginho, as I said, I think yeah. should stick around so he could provide that. I think Jesus and Zinchenko, they're not going to go anywhere and they're still very experienced and have been there, done it, Trossard's experience. A lot of these younger players now are getting experience. Declan Rice is a leader. Gabriel's a leader. So I don't, I don't really think Arsenal need to buy someone purely based on experience this summer. I don't know if you agree with that. And in terms of Cedric, that they were hoping, they were open for him to go. Cedric, as far as I've been told, was absolutely keen on going as well. There were discussions with Galatasaray. Uh, they didn't lead to anything. They ended up saying inside Sir jorie And so I suppose it came down to the question of, is it worth cancelling his contract for these five or six months, or is it just worth keeping him around? And uh, I guess they just felt, you know, Arsenal, we know, like to cancel contracts. They're not not—they're yeah. not, they're not scared of doing it, but they obviously felt in this, this occasion that, it probably wasn't worth what they were going to have to end up stumping up. And it was, he was worthwhile keeping around. So simple as that.
1: Cause the one thing I would take issue with is actually behind the scenes. People do speak really positively of of Cedric in terms of, you know, just the work ethic. I I know that when I say this, it will be sort of like framed as this is not criticism of anyone whose contract they did cancel. Like a lot of those players were on a lot more money and were higher profile and had expectations for a role, deserved expectations for a role that, that Cedric doesn't have. Cedric does that job right. I mean, like I agree when you put those numbers out there, it is a colossal waste of money. Mm. Um, and I thought about it at the time and I've thought it all the way through, but <laughs> You know you like it's a colossal waste of money, and that you spent 17 million pounds for a guy that's a good trainer. He is a good trainer, though, so I do. I think that like, the view would be like, well,
0: and what's he is the popular, of, he is yeah, popular. Exactly. just like El popular, he is very popular, and he does, you know, he, he coaches the younger players mm. as well. Um, so he he is a behind the scenes person. There's no, yeah, you can't, I don't think you can say he's not, you know, I think he definitely is. Whether that's worth keeping him around for <laughs> everyone else has got a different opinion on that, obviously, yeah. Um but yeah, and in terms of experience, do you think Arsenal
1: need to sign anyone just purely for experience this summer? Would that be top of not think anyone better than Jorginho. I mean, like when you you ever see him like doing his warm ups down the so- sideline, he's he's like run. He's basically coaching the team. He is. He does absolutely one hundred percent.
0: Uh, right, here's one from uh, just a no name. Uh, it says, extra time with the potential midfield spots being available in the summer and the resurgence of Sami Lekonger at Luton. Is there a way back for Sami next year, or will Arsenal just cash in?
1: Thanks. Cash in, cash in. This is a, this is great. Like a few at the start of the season, you're like, oh my god, Sami can't get a game for Luton. Uh, like they, Arsenal might never see a penny from this. I don't think. I mean, his book value now must be about eight and a half million. Did he? He signed a four-year contract when he joined, or five?
0: Five probably. Five five years. Oh, it was three years ago
1: as well, wasn't it? So his book value now would be about six million. Like Arsenal can make a profit on him. That's great news. (laughs) You know, thanks for your service, Sambi. It was a good gamble, I think. And there's a different timeline where it worked out quite well at Arsenal. He started really encouragingly, but it just weren't the minutes for him to develop there. So um yeah, cash out hopefully to Luton, but I think he's actually played so well that another Premier League team... I
0: was going to ask that. You think him. if Luton go down, and that's a big if at the moment because they're looking very, very mm. good, but if they were to go down, do you think another Premier League club would come knocking for him? He certainly put himself in the window. It seems like he's put himself in the window. Anyway.
1: Probably. I wouldn't want to sort of...
0: What do you reckon is realistic money?
1: Eight to ten? Yeah. I don't think, I mean, we don't, I don't think we're going to be sort of like... He's going to be funding, you know, you're going to go, Oh, we can buy Victor Ossimen now. But I think eight to ten would be fair.
0: So that's taking um, an eight million money. hit on him. about eight million hit, isn't it?
1: Well, but I mean, obviously, it's you know, the old uh FFP or P- yeah, yeah. P- and PSR, all that stuff. You can write that's a profit. <laughs> Whether you've got uh, you know, five million pounds or seven million pounds worth of performance from him in the preceding years is debatable, but yeah, it's all good. Some yeah that's nice fair play
0: to him it's good to see him doing well and when you said he couldn't get in the Luton team I think that's a bit unfair he could he just got injured didn't he, he yeah was, he was he started in the team and seemed to be doing pretty well then got injured and now he's worked his way back in and got picked up a couple of assists it was a lovely assist for his goal for the goal someone scored as Brighton wasn't it it was lovely assist by Sammy for that um mm. so yeah fair play to him good to see him doing well um Rizwan says, considering we were already out of the league and FA Cups this season, what would you consider to be a success at the end of the season? It's still early and I know we're in a good position to challenge for both the league and the Champions League, but realistically, City are looking back to their dangerous self and this is still our first year back in the Champions League. If we don't win either, which I hope we would, but again, being realistic, that odds are against us. What would you consider a success this season or would you put a bit of a dampener on the progress we've seen into going into summer with nothing to show for our efforts? you can go first on that. I
1: thought you might say that. It's interesting because quite often we've done, we've done this sort of question before, but it's quite often like what's the minimum bar. And if Arteta doesn't do X, should he be in trouble? Successful is like, I feel like for Arsenal to consider this season a success, I think they need to establish themselves as a top five team in Europe and the second best team in England, Mm. a even if they don't win, I think if they go through the Champions League, take a, uh, I think for success, I would say a Champions League semi final, knocking out a big club and then doing a, making a great account of yourselves against maybe a rich team. Um, and then pushing till the end in the Premier League, t- in the title race it would be a sort of hollow sort of success, wouldn't it? Because ultimately success is winning trophies yeah. and it can only go on for so long that you just go like it's progress and progress is success. Like you're going to need something to market, but I do understand that what Arsenal have against them is just the, the best team in the world. And you know, the best team I can remember Uh, since, well, I'm not going to, we could spend ages doing that bit, but it's hard but arsenal need to keep proving that they are at the very top of the next run down
0: yeah yeah i agree i think it's really really hard to define it i don't see if arsenal finished second this season i don't necessarily say that's a success but i certainly don't say that's a failure i think that's just where they are <laughs> that's the that second or third <laughs> is kind of where arsenal are at the moment um you know last season they were fantastic and but liverpool had a one of those weird seasons where they kind of fell off a mm-hmm. cliff, didn't they? And they're obviously back to what they were beforehand. I think it's easy just to look at Liverpool's season last season and think, oh, that was it. That was the end of the year. It clearly wasn't. It was a bit of an anomaly on <laughs> an anom- anomaly of Alan Brazil type moment there. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and they're clearly, you know, back to back to their best and they've still got quality team. So it, it's very hard to look at if Arsenal finished second or even finish third just behind this yeah. Liverpool team as a would be a failure it certainly wouldn't be a success um but yeah I think like you if Arsenal were to finish really really pushed City finished second having really pushed them but also r- properly gone deep into the Champions League and shown that they really do mean business against the very very best I think then I'd start saying yeah, obviously they didn't get any silverware so it's nothing to you know shout home about and have an open top bus Mm. parade about but i think it's still another big that'd be another big building block on the unexpected season that they had last season and they enjoyed last season it would definitely be building a building block. it's just very hard like you said you're up against (laughs) the best team in the world arguably the greatest club side ever in english football who spent just as much as our you know they won the treble last season and they spent just as much as arsenal did in the summer on new players and and um, revamping the squad, with the greatest manager arguably in history. I mean, it's you, that's what you're up against. So if you're, you're measuring success purely by winning the title in England, I think that's very, very, it's a very, very hard thing to do. I really do. And this is
1: why you need to be allowed to celebrate beating one of your, one of the, the other best teams in Europe, because mm. Arsenal and Liverpool could get a lot right like Liverpool spent a decade getting almost everything right, or however long Klopp was there, and they had next very little to show for it. Like, you've got to celebrate the successes that come because you've got a team over there with a nation state backing them. Yeah, absolutely.
0: 100%. Right, there's one last question to go. Um, there's one from John here. It says It's time. hi guys, looking at our trickiest fixtures remaining, um, can you see any of the top four winning all of theirs? And they list them all, I mean... <laughs> I don't even need to list them all to say no. I, I I think I think even Man City I think will not go through that entire game, that list of teams there.
1: But Forest Win. away on Man City. I know mean, I, I noticed I know
0: it's Forest stuck on the end there. Although Forest did take points off him at the City ground last season. Yeah. That day that Arsenal beat Man City. I I think everyone drops points there. Um you know City always struggle at Anfield.
1: Um I think I mean there's one obvious one isn't it where City are going to drop points. Oh, Even though they have now broken the the hoodoo, they're de- I can tell you now they'll lose away to Spurs because they always do.
0: That is true, yeah. Uh, looking at Liverpool, actually, Forest away, Man City at home, Everton away, Tottenham home, Man United. Liverpool might go through those games unbeaten, looking mm-hmm. at it, actually, because they always do well at Anfield against Man City. I don't really... You know they got Brighton at home, which they got Tottenham at home. Now Liverpool, main out of all of those, I would say Liverpool. Arsenal obviously got some really tough fixtures there. They got to go to Tottenham, which is going to be incredibly difficult. Got to go Man City, which is tough. Brighton away. You know Arsenal got some tough trips there mm. to deal with. So, no, I, I don't think anyone, to be fair, is going to go through all of those, uh, winning all of them. But I think if anyone quick, did, quick one for you, maybe be Liverpool. when can
1: we when can we get Aston Villa off that list? How long? Have, how long? How long do you see them? Yeah, They're only I three do... points behind. I know. I not yeah, very good.
0: Not yet, but I do see that teams are beginning to, it feels like they're beginning to wise up a little bit to Aston Villa and their high line and how you and how you break them down and uh, just show a little bit more maturity, which I just wish Arsenal did in that game against them because they should have picked them off and scored three or four goals against them at Villa Park. It was so frustrating. And um, yeah, it feels like teams are beginning to wise up to that a little bit, even if they did in the middle of the couple of home defeats, go to Sheffield United and, and win the way they did. Yeah. Um, I thought it's quite telling that Chelsea and Newcastle have both gone there and scored three goals lately. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if if Villa continue to play the way they do and set up the way they do defensively, that you might see more of that happening during the second half of the season. But but we shall see on that. Anyway, James, look, mate, we're up to the 50-minute mark. I think it's time to uh, call time on it. Thank you, everyone, for getting involved. Appreciate it, as always. Um, I should have said this at the beginning, actually, but... Uh, I don't think I did mention it, but this is actually going out on Friday. We recorded it on Thursday afternoon. It's going out Friday morning because of some uh, stuff I've got going on, uh, which is going to stop me doing a video in the morning. So, if something massive has happened between <laughs> between two p.m. on Thursday and I don't know ten a.m. on Friday when this is going to go out, uh, and it's not been discussed on this show, it's because it's been pre-recorded on the Thursday. So, a slight disclaimer there, which I should have put at the front. Of this show, but I've uh, ended up putting at the back. But that, yeah, that's why. If, if uh... can
1: you believe Peps quit? I
0: know, <laughs> <laughs> I bet you something like that will happen now. But anyway, look, mate, top man, what are you doing this weekend? You, um, oh, you said you're at West Ham, aren't you?
1: Yeah, we'll be at West Ham together. Um, I'm going to keep a close eye on the, the Bundesliga title race as well. It's such a good weekend of football, yes. AFCON. Asia Cup final as well, Jordan against Qatar. It's a good weekend of football.
0: Yeah, it's not been many tournaments, I think, that have had more dramatic endings in games than what we've seen at AFCON. Every single match, seemingly, in the last couple of minutes has just swung from one way to the other. Yesterday was amazing when Ossumen scored that goal. It was incredible. Pulled, it got pulled back for the VAR penalty. Um, oh, the Asia Cup,
1: missed, though. Asia Cup's been great. The like, Asia Cup
0: has been great, yeah. I haven't seen as much of it as I have at AFCON, but um, yeah, it, it has been good. That guy missed missed for, uh, for South Africa in yeah. injury time from the free kick when it was spilled and he bounced out and put it over. Oh my god, he'll be he'll be thinking of that for the rest of his life every time he shuts this shuts his eyes, I imagine. But yeah, brilliant tournament. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Cool. All right, mate, it's been a pleasure. As always, thanks for catching up. I'll uh, I'll see you for bangers and mash, I imagine, in the press room at uh, Oh yes. <laughs> at West Ham on Sunday. Take it easy, mate. Speak to you soon.
1: See ya. Bye bye.